Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It is Thursday, August the 3rd, believe it or not, a little after that. It's 9.15 a.m. Central Time. Scott and I had a little... uh, he had a, a radio thing, and I had some computer issues, and that's why we're getting a little bit late kickoff today. But hopefully we can make it up to you with some uh, interesting conversation here about Iowa athletics and beyond. Uh, on the docket today, I will talk about the gambling investigation. We've got new news on that, and that's kind of been the story of the week in the state, as it includes both Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, Scott's got a a couple of pieces on the athletic uh, that I caught up with this morning, and hopefully you folks will too. Uh, on Brian Ferentz and Beth Getz, uh, that he dropped the Brian story this week and Beth earlier this week. So good uh, content there uh, amongst a, a sea of good content at the athletic. So check that out. Conference expansion back in the news. We'll hit that a little bit. And if we have time, we will look over the Iowa depth chart a little bit and laugh and have fun with it. And uh, if not, we'll do it next week. But we're going to start with gambling. And um, Scott, before we do that, we have not, well, you and I have not talked about the Mayans series <laughs> finale. And I don't want to bore people with that. I just figured we could uh, just touch on it slightly with what your, what was your favorite? storyline or storylines in the finale what what were you most pleased with mm, that's a great question I was glad to see uh Angel kind of get out and get away that's um, one of the few positive yeah things that came out of yeah <laughs> right I don't know where else to begin it's not certainly not you know the the Julius Caesar moment um <laughs> I don't know how much we want to ruin for everybody who maybe has yeah, you kind of knew that was coming though with the creeper storyline yeah. yeah it was pretty obvious that he was done and uh for me it was probably either it was probably the Emily storyline yeah. just because that one went pretty much throughout the whole series that had a really big arc to it and then I was hoping for a worse ending for Isaac but at least it ended. 
Yeah. I mean, he, uh, you know, he, not only losing his life by getting waterfalled at the end, I thought was all right. Um, I, I didn't like him, you know, and I mean, sometimes you like the bad guys, you know, and I, I think you look at what Sons was like and, you know, and, and even the, you know, you got the protagonists, you know, like, a, um, you know, Jax, of course, and Clay, and you could kind of like them and hate them at the same time. I felt the same way about like Alvarez and, you know, with the with the Mayans against them, but his, that was a positive I, ending for yeah. Alvarez too, which was yeah. cool. I guess he. It seemed like that was the change in the club when he left, and obviously, again, we don't want to yeah. ruin yeah. everything, but yeah. So Angel getting away was good. Um, sorry for Easy. I thought it was, uh, you know, you, you felt for Angel having to do what he did uh, to to ensure that he lived and his son lived. I mean, you know, it's not easy to kill your brother, but at the same time, I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, I saw my brother compete in disc golf this weekend. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I wouldn't want to do it there. <laughs> I, uh, you didn't have any thoughts of murder. No, I, there was a couple of times we came close when I was a kid, you know, uh, when I threw a baseball bat on the ground after I struck him out and he threw the ball over my head, I threw the bat on the ground and it's ricocheted up and hit him right here. It was like the, a one in a million shot. And unfortunately, you know, saved it for that moment, but I uh, handcuffed my little brother to the staircase <laughs> that, I, that yeah, he was bugging me and my friend that didn't work out. We're six no. years different. So he was kind of a pest and. He had it coming and uh, I got in trouble, but anyway, it was worth yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, we're two years apart. He, he would, I, I admit it now that I'm almost 50 and I'm truly an old dude that he's a black belt. He works at the prison in Fort Madison. He'd win if we fought, but, but I wouldn't have admitted that even 10 years ago. So. <laughs> All right. We got the Mayans out of the way. Yeah. Uh, let's go into some more uh, illegal activity. Uh, and then segue into gambling oh, right here. Um, I don't want to go too deep into the weeds here, Scott, from like, you know, people, the news is out there and plenty of people have talked about, you know, the, the Iowa state angle to this and, yeah. uh, you know, obviously it impacts Iowa to the degree that, you know, Iowa state most likely will not have its starting quarterback in oh. week two against Iowa. So that yeah. changes things. And that's an, that's certainly part of the storyline and probably one we'll talk about more when we get to that game. Um, but more of the Iowa angle. Uh, we, I think for me, the the most surprising part, Scott, is, and I don't blame anybody for this. I don't blame Rick Heller for this or Kirk Ferentz uh, talking about they don't believe that, you know, student athletes bet on Iowa athletics because that was kind of put out there at the beginning um, no. by an official. So, my guess is they got to digging and just kind of kept going down rabbit holes and ended up here at, where they maybe didn't have an indication of this being the case early on. And part of that is because the student athletes were using other people to set up these accounts because they were underage. So this is probably what we heard this week is really disappointing. And the, I guess for me, and I'll let you run with this because you've covered a lot more and you've got a story on, on athletic on this as well, but uh, just kind of, I think it's something these guys are going to regret later in life. I mean, they threw a lot away here. They work really hard uh, 
to become good enough to play at a power five level. And now it's gone. And that's just, that's got to hurt. And again, we've talked about it before with the speeding tickets, you know what the rules are, you know what the laws are and you broke them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, it's not only disappointing, it's, it's disheartening. And if you're the coaches now, you know, talking to Kirk Ferentz last week, he didn't think that anybody had bet on Iowa. And then when you find out your backup kicker did, and not only that, took the under. <laughs> I hate to say that. Yeah, blame him for that. But I know. I mean, uh, it, it's probably better that it was the 2021 game and not 2022 <laughs> when he misses the game-winning field goal. Yeah. Um, that would have looked really – I mean, that would have been insane. Um, but I think when you look at all of these, to gamble <clears throat> on – your own sport. And Aaron, you did not point out that he did that, but he did bet on Iowa football and Iowa other events. Uh, but to gamble on your own sport, everybody knows that's wrong. You could say, I don't, I didn't think anything of it. If it was uh, Iowa, South Carolina women's basketball. Well, I didn't really know, or I didn't really think about that. And I could believe that one. But when you're talking about, um, you know, gambling on your own team, which Aaron Blum is accused of doing, which uh, Garrett Christensen is accused of doing, and when uh, and then the others on the Iowa State side are accused of doing, then to me, I think, you know, you touch the third rail, you're gone, you're never going to play again. Now, NAIA has different rules. Potentially, that could be in play for somebody, but even then, if I'm an NAIA coach. Is that worth it? I mean, it is NAIA for a reason. And is it worth it to go and get one of these players um, to say, yeah, sure, I want you to play for me after you did all of that for your other team? I, I wouldn't be worth it to me. I would rather put my faith and trust in somebody who's been there and, and done all the right things. Um, but that said, I mean, now now we have and now we enter the, the penalty phase from the NCAA part of it. And I, I I don't know how long this is going to take on this one. I would anticipate it, it won't take a whole lot longer because the public pressure is ramping up and they've had a long time to investigate. We've had now the, the criminal component, seven athletes, three at Iowa who are charged. I would anticipate the NCAA element to come up fairly soon as well. And, uh, and that's the scary part for Iowa. I mean, no offense to Aaron long but if he's the only person that's going to be missing i don't think you're going to be too worried about it um however if you know Noah shannon's caught up in it what is what's his angle what's going to happen to him what about the others uh i think that's where you're you're kind of hedging hedging your bets uh you're you're a little nervous about what's going to happen next yeah no question and i i think but i probably shouldn't assume anything because this has been a story where there's been very limited info and people have had to speculate a lot for the last several months. And you hope, I guess I'll frame it this way. You would hope that what's been released so far are the most serious infractions. Mm -hmm. And then it'll trickle down from there. Obviously we know Noah Shannon's involved, but we don't know, how he's involved or, or how deeply he's involved. And as you said, hopefully these things are, hopefully this is the beginning of this coming to an end, so to speak here, get all the names out, what they did, 
let the NCAA levy penalties and let's move on with the thing already. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, and you know, DCI sent out a release. Uh, I got it yesterday afternoon, and and when when they tend to do this, they're still investigating, of course, but you would not anticipate many more charges like these. I think that's, and I'm not saying that there won't be, but unless something really is uncovered, they usually kind of wait, put it all out there at the same time, and then and then start moving backwards. Uh, I think, um, you know, for the NCAA component, you want to know all this stuff. We want to know. Everybody wants to know the players. You know, what's the penalty going to be? And, um, you know, and then players can appeal after that. I mean, if it's a six-game suspension. And I guess, um, though, Rob, the thing I didn't realize with this was um, how much money was wagered. And I think that's if there's surprising or if there's, Wow, I didn't realize that was just especially dealing with um I, I would say the the Iowa State wrestler, uh Panero Johnson and uh and Aaron Eulis. I was really I was really taken aback by that. I didn't expect that kind of money to be wagered. What was um, the Eulis number again as it pertains it was, to Iowa? I think it was thirty-five thousand, I didn't want to say. Yeah, let me uh I have the the criminal complaints here for most of them I've printed out. I had to change my toner, of course, in one point. So, <laughs> um, but I knew it was a number that was eye popping. That yeah. you were like, you know, this is because the some like the kid from Virginia Tech. What didn't we calculate that as like three and four dollar bets? You're not yeah. doing that with thirty five k. No, it was like thirty five. Um, it was it was like almost four hundred dollars total, and it was like a hundred, little over a hundred bets. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, Aaron Eulis made 1,850 bets, 740 were placed before he was 21, and they covered $34,800. That's a lot, you know, and then on in in 430 of those bets were placed on NCAA-sanctioned basketball and football games. Uh, He also uh, put at least one wager on a University of Iowa sporting event that – you know, that, there's a reason why he didn't play in Spain with the Nebraska um, traveling team this summer, and uh, I don't think he'll play ever again. I don't. I can't imagine that they'll do anything there. So, overall, this is uh, it, it's jarring, and I and I've heard you know seen people you know kind of complain about the system or complain about you know everybody involved in this except for the athletes or oh they shouldn't be no. This is where I draw the line, you know, and I'm not a real hard ass about certain things, but this one I kind of am. If you bet on your own team, you should be done, period. There's no, there's to me, there's nothing, you know, know, cost Pete Rose the Hall of Fame, you know, and and I I think in this case, you bet on your team, you're done. You bet on your school, I think it should be a mandatory at least a year or NCAA sport you play a year. And then, um, you know, beyond that, I think you can negotiate, you know, if it's like NFL and you're a football player, or basketball player, or NBA, you know, that to me, you could probably backslide a little bit. But I think I think there should be zero tolerance on betting on your sport and your team. I, I don't have a problem at all if that becomes a lifetime ban. Yes. And um, we've talked about this before, Scott. And we don't have to dive too deep into it again, but for the people that don't see any harm in what was done here, 
just if you take it to, you know, a fair trade, you know, and, and think about, you know, Wall Street and stocks and things like that. It's insider trading. I'm not, I mean, no. I, I don't want to say, you know, any of these Iowa athletes bet based on things they heard around campus within the athletic department, but they could. And that's the problem here. You can't, you know, if Aaron Eulis is betting on Iowa football and he's at the Judean Education Center during the week and finds out some inside information, that's no good. That's no yeah. bueno. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, and likewise, if when you got Aaron Blum betting, taking the under in a football game, a rivalry football game, a top two, teaching top two, ten, top ten teams. And he could have uh, played. Yeah. And if an injury, he's in there. I mean, look at look at last year. Now, I'm not – nothing was wagered uh, allegedly, but he missed the game-winning field goal in the last play of the game. Now, it was in a pouring rain. It was 48 yards. It's not exactly like he missed an extra point. But still, <laughs> you know, the appearance of malfeasance, of issues, is, is very strong here. And, I, and again, you betting – on the, under you're basically betting against your offense and you play for the offense because you're in charge of kicking. Now you didn't play and they had a better kicker than him anyway in Caleb Shudak. But I mm-hmm. think this is just an, you know, an incredible um, disrespect for your team and, you know, really goes against everything that this, the program stands for. So I would anticipate him not participating ever again in black and gold or being invited to compete, you know, and come to, you know, a West Division celebration in 2031 either. No. And again, that goes back kind of to, you know, my main takeaway on this is just the disappointment that, and was it Christensen's mother who said, yeah, yeah I mean, that to me too is a head scratcher, how you could get involved in that and be a part of that. But, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I give, you know, my kids growing up, they would want things like video games, shit like that off uh, the internet. And I'd give my credit card to go on there. And, you know, who knows? I mean, I probably should have been better at checking that. And most times I was, but there could have been times where they, you know, didn't do what they were supposed to be doing, you know, didn't conduct themselves the way they were supposed to be conducting themselves. And, you know, I don't know, I don't want to, you know, bury the parents here, but, you know, if they did help them set this up illegally, that's not a good look either. Right. I mean, when you're talking about Gary Christensen, you know, he bet 559 times. Uh, He his wagers totaled more than $2,400 with 23 wagers on the university of Iowa. And, um, you know, she's his mother set up the DraftKings account registered in her name, utilized by her son, uh, to make wagers with her consent and knowledge. She said she even helped to set up the account for him and acknowledged it was a silly mistake to do so. Uh, he said he mostly bet on, on NBA games. Well, again, you know, Underage gambling, if, if you take 
you know, and, and I think that there's probably more to that than is actually charged. I think there's probably, you know, at least I've heard some issues where he used it without her permission. And now she's trying to cover for him on that regard. Uh, but that's hearsay. But I will say that uh, in this case, you know, you're underage. I could I could overlook that part of it a little bit um, if you're not, especially not if you're not an athlete. Uh, but then you start, you know, you have make 23 wagers on the University of Iowa. Uh, then, then you've got a problem. And when you're making that, you know, $2,400 worth of wagers and you acknowledge that you're not old enough to do it and your mother did it for you, that to me is a major red flag. It's a character flag. I mean, it's – and I'm not, I'm not condemning people who gamble. And we know a lot of people do. And – I try to stay away from it because I just don't want to have any kind of false appearances, but I mean, you know, and, and there is irony. There is, you know, to, you know, like one of my stories, I think it was on Hunter Decker's, you know, we, had, we had our bet MGM banner ad right in the middle of it, you know? And so I don't want to sound like I'm holier than thou on this, but it's just to me, I think this is, it, you, you probably said the right word from the very beginning, disappointing, because it just seems to me that this is, this is an avoidable situation that they have been educated on. And yet they turned out to do something that's um, that's wrong. And it's, you know, the reputation of the school the reputation of themselves, their programs have all been smeared a little bit because of what they accomplished. And it's not because you and me were talking about it or writing about it. It's because they were charged with an aggravated misdemeanor. You know, I don't expect any of them to go to jail, but you can serve up to two years in prison for an aggravated misdemeanor. Yeah, this to me, this is more of a, for lack of a better term, uh, crime against your sport and against the integrity of the sports more than, you know, criminal activity. That's like you you put him in jail, you put him in with the creeper. Um, yeah, <laughs> because they bet on uh, the the under on the Iowa Iowa State game, but it's just more. And we've seen it through the years, Scott. We're old enough to remember the Art Sleetster thing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Pete Rose. I remember Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays were banned from baseball for doing advertisements for casinos yeah. in Atlantic City. So, I mean, this isn't something new that just came down the road. What is new is the ease with which people can bet. I I think the statute of limitations is over. But I, when I lived in... Southern New Jersey, I had a bookie in South Philly. And it's different when you're calling up on the phone yeah. and calling those in and then just pulling it up on your phone and being able to boop, boop, there, yeah. my bet's in. So it's a different landscape now. I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not so sure that 21 for gambling is, you know, it's kind of like that drinking, you know, the alcohol argument. If you're able to, you know, if, if you're, if you're able to go and fight for your country at, at a certain age, you'd be able to drink and wager. And, you know, that's, that's another discussion for another day here, because like you, I don't think the underage gambling aspect of this story is huge because I, people do, you know, we talked, we've talked about the examples before the, the NCAA tournament or Super Bowl squares or whatever people gamble in life every day. This is just a very extreme example with 
individuals who are involved in sports, who are involved in the games, who have a chance to get insider information. Yeah, I mean, I think the most extreme example any of us could kind of imagine would be going to a bookie and, you know, shaving points or or even, you know, losing games on purpose, you know, the Black Sox scandal or, or whatever. And then Austin College, uh, yeah. uh, Arizona York, State, NYU basketball right. back in the day. It's happened through the years. So, again, this is not new. Right. Uh, you know, and then then there were, you know, casinos, you know, Riverside Casino, uh, you know, and, you know, the sports book there, you know, you can go and make bets in person or whatever. And then now you can do it over the phone. It beca- the ease with which you can do it is is makes it convenient and more difficult to police, you know, if you will. And I think, you know, the other fact is, you know, I have like an app for our fantasy football league on my phone and I can change my lineup, or, you know, hey, it's right before the three o'clock game and somebody's out. So I can drop that person and get somebody else. And, you know, fantasy football, well, it's like fantasy football, the NCAA tournament are ones where you're like, man, that would really suck if you got banned for betting in that. But, but it is gambling. But when you're, you know, in the underage component, I remember going to the, you know, we, I think I was a junior or senior in high school in the early nineties when uh, the boats came, you can gamble on the river boats and it would come to Burlington and dock and we would be like, or Fort Madison and kind of move up and down the river. And, you know, we were 18 and we couldn't wait to go to the boat, you know? And so that, that part of it, I'm a little less, yeah. Okay. I get, you know, that's underage. You're using a false number. If, but when you start to gamble on your university and you gamble on your team with either for it against it or, you know, the over underline, then, then I think that's when you've got, you've got issues and, and that's, that's disappointing. And it's got to be disappointing in the program. I did talk to, I can't remember if it was an 80 or a coach. I am going to write about it at some point last week at, at Big Ten Media Days and to, you know, did this provide a teachable moment? And they're like, absolutely it did. You know, that this is, you know, what team now is talking about gambling and not using Hunter Decker's name or the Iowa kicker's name, you know, and this is, look what happens. They're never going to play again. You know, don't do it. You've got the rest of your life to gamble. So, you know, I, I think right now that they've got to be, you know, but there's also the hypocrisy factor here, Rob, and that is when you partner up with casinos or leagues partner up, you know, or there's commercials for DraftKings or FanDuel, and you've got Riverside Casino having one of your luxury suites, and but you can't mention the fact it's a casino for all these years because of the gambling aspect, or you partner up with the Iowa Lottery, all these things here, uh, yeah, there's a hypocrisy that's a mile wide. You know, hey, well, why can't they do that? And they and these guys can't. But I think overall, you know, that leads to a bigger, wider conversation. But I can't imagine that they legitimately thought betting on their own school was there was nothing wrong with that. And betting on their team, that there was nothing wrong with that either. No, not at all. I mean, again, these for those that don't know, they the there are they have um, they take time out of training camp during the season. They, I mean, it's posted you know in the locker rooms there, there's there's no way to avoid that knowing that this is not good and i do see some hypocrisy i think 
the Swarm NIL Collective has a deal with a casino, doesn't it? So, yeah. I mean, that, that's directly relate. That's directly giving money to money to the players. Yeah. So that, but I think you go in knowing the first day you're on campus as a freshman. Here are the rules: you cannot do this. You have a certain window of time to play, and players talk about you know I only have a short window of time to play. In that short window, there are restrictions. Gambling is one of them. You cannot bet on sports, particularly your team, but also at the university. And, you know, it extends to, um, you know, NBA, things like that. And we could talk about that. There's a lot of nuance to that. But the cases that we are aware of now the ones that broke this week, Scott, I don't think there's any gray area. These yeah. are no, no bueno. Yeah. Yeah. The Iowa state ones are probably even worse. Um, you know, yeah, the, kid that's a, the kids, the kid that's with the Broncos, man, what the hell? I mean, how many years has he been, been told not to do this at, at this level, at that level. And, you know, he's suspended for the season now from the Broncos and I, I can't imagine that he ever gets another opportunity again. I just, um, you know, because there's, uh, you know, like what Calvin Ridley, I think it was, was suspended for a, a year and really didn't do anything. I mean, like, and and so this, I, I can't imagine anybody even give him a shot, not at the NFL, you know, maybe he'll go somewhere else. But but so to me is, is you know, and then Hunter Deckers, yeah, that that that's really problematic when you bet on a football game and you're a quarterback. He didn't play in that game, but he still did, you know. And that to me is, you know, I'm not I'm not saying any other position is less important, but there's no position more important than quarterback. And if you're the number two, he was the number two behind Brock Purdy. And and you know, if there's a, a extreme coincidence when you look at that Iowa Iowa State game in 2021 where Aaron Blom took the uh, under, you know, there was a field goal that was missed late by Iowa state. And the guy who scored the last points was, it was a touchdown pass thrown by Henner Deckers. So, (laughs) you know, in a mop up rule. So I I think overall, this is a, you know, you know, the, the big question now though, Rob is, is what happens at the NCAA level with these players? I mean, we, how many games are they going to miss? Are they going to miss any? Are they going to miss a few? Are they going to miss a lot? You know, and what does Iowa and Iowa State do? I mean, tomorrow's Iowa State's media day. I do plan to cover that. I would have anyway, but I definitely do now with the gambling allegations and, you know, and I'll get clarity, but it sounds like Iowa State was going to hold out the the gambling um, players. Now, I don't know if that means the ones that are in NCAA, you know, purgatory right now or or just – Deckers and Dodge Souser, who, you know, of course we all know his dad was the coach at Iowa City West. Um, but, you know, you know, what's Iowa going to do? My anticipation is, you know, uh, Kirk made it sound like I think they were just going to compete in camp and wait it out. And, and then once they hear something, then they'll, you know, make their, you know, make it known. But, you know, who knows, you know, if they, and if you get to that end of August and you don't know, then you've got to withhold those guys. And that's, that's a situation. It's one thing with baseball because it just happened. You, you can't really fault the NCAA for that one. But I think now you're starting to get into 
three plus months and football season is a different animal and there's different attention, especially now with the, all these, uh, you know, the rests or, you know, that I think in this case, you've, they need to have some pressure applied to adjudicate this case, at least put it in out there to where that they can appeal if they need to. So they're still investigating, right? Or is the investigation done? I mean, we don't know any of these things to yeah. know when, you know, because the NCAA can't really act until it has all the information from the investigation. So that's really, you know, the, um, the hierarchy is, you know, figuring out what was done and then the NCAA has that information. And then with the kind of the, the rules changes that we saw, you know, what was that? May, I think Uh, Mm -hmm. they have a pretty, you know, a pretty standard, you did this, this is what the penalty is. So that shouldn't be that complicated once they have all the information. Right. You know, and, and, but I do wonder how much of the information they received that the, the DCI received, you know, did they have the the specifics here um, or did they get, did they work with the police department or the, you know, division of criminal investigation to obtain all of this information, or are they just learning this part portion of it firsthand? That I don't know. I would love to have some sort of clarity at the NCAA level or even at the local campus level to, to let us know, because, you know, again, I, I think now we've reached the point of, you can be patient for so long, Rob. And I think that's eh, during the summer They're, you know, they're just working out. Nothing's going to change there. You'd like yeah, to they know can, they can still practice. So right. they're not missing anything. But now that once you reach the training camp phase, then it's like, all right, let's, let's get this thing kind of figured out and, you know, and let us know what's, what's going on. And then if uh, a player believes he's been, treated unfairly or suspended unfairly, then they can appeal it and and see what happens from there. But I think at some point, the coaches, the players, the general public kind of really needs to know this. I get the sense that the DCI doesn't give a shit and they're going to move at their own pace and the NCAA can wait (laughs) whenever that happens. And again, for me, just kind of connecting the dots or looking, I mean, what was that last Wednesday? So eight days ago, Kirk Ferentz still believed that nobody had bet on the team or, you know, the, you know, Iowa school. So that to me, he's getting his information from administrators who are getting it from the big 10 who are are getting her from. So that leads me to believe that the DCI just isn't telling anybody anything until it's ready to release and, you know, finish whatever portion of the investigation it finishes. And we've got the first kind of uh, um, portion of this now, and we'll see what happens after. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I'm fine with that part of it, the criminal part of it, you know, there shouldn't, you know, I mean, you want some charges eventually and that sort of thing, but the, the criminal charge element, you know, let let those investigators do their job. Um, the NCAA is different. It's it's a it's got a different jurisdiction. It, it can't put anybody in jail. It can't even subpoena anybody. But um, that one to me, I mean, that's administered by the schools, and they shouldn't have. You know, it shouldn't be just like an unlimited investigation. Granted, you know, we we look at them as one monolith entity. The way people think of the media, you know, mm-hmm. and there, there are different kinds of media, but you know, really. And they've got a lot of things to police too, not just 
you know, gambling in Iowa and Iowa State Universities. But I think this is, uh, you know, you do kind of feel like, all right, let's let's get some clarity here because it's obvious that, you know, I don't know if Kirk feels embarrassed or cares or what, but, you know, he was given some wrong and bad information and he relayed it. And then when he did say that, you know, he wished the rules were more like the pro leagues, I'm like, you don't really know, do you? You know, the NCAA rules seem pretty damn clear to me. Um, the pro rules seem very cloudy. You know, when you got guys missing six games because they did it at a at their team facility as opposed to two blocks away or in their car when they hit the stop sign. So um, I think that's a little more ambiguous and a little bit crazier than what's going on now at the NCAA level. No question. And uh, we'll find out more here as we go down. Hopefully this thing gets resolved sooner rather than later, but who knows? We've been saying that for months now. I remember standing out on Banks Field with Rick Heller before the Big Ten tournament where he felt like things were about ready to wrap up. Uh, Uh, That was like the end of May or the beginning of June, and here we are in August. So your guess is good as mine at where this thing heads, but – couple pieces you had this week at the athletic i wanted to hit on i want to call this segment of the podcast brian and beth brian Ferns and beth gets uh scott's got feature stories on both of them this week um i read them both this morning good pieces i recommend you do as well uh and to segue into this um you know beth has this is on her plate now. This this situation with the gambling and everything else moving forward is on her plate now. And um the best part the 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 word of in your story that was music to my ears the most Scott was proactive. Yeah. When I saw her talk about being proactive and taking advantage of uh a situation when things are going well you know, and building on that, those to me, that was really, really good to hear from her. And uh, I have high hopes. I do too. And she has an incredible resume and I've had, I would say um, I, you know, on Twitter, some, (laughs) some comebacks from people who don't think that she's qualified or that won a national search for whatever reason. And, and I still think that that's possible. You know, but I think how she handles herself with this gambling situation, what happens in football if if Iowa football like loses a game and everybody loses their shit, or Brian doesn't, you know, has a couple of bad games uh, scoring wise, uh, then that's really going to be the what sets her apart, you know. And then of course, if anybody leaves or whatever, but you know, her resume is by far the strongest we've ever seen for anybody holding that position at Iowa. You go back. I mean, Kyle Bowlesby even said it on Twitter yesterday. And there's a response to somebody's like, her resume is way better than my dad's was, you know, I think he was 80 for seven years at UNI and then he got hired at Iowa. I mean, you're talking about somebody who was um, interim AD at Minnesota. When you talk about crises, that's worse than gambling um, because it was sexual harassment. And then, all kinds of other issues. Jerry Kill having to retire early because of, you know, you know, health issues, which he's unretired multiple times since then. You know, it's kind of like Billy Martin and New York Yankees. It's kind of him and health, but. Then we had good old Tracy Clays. Yeah. Tracy Clays for a year, but luckily for her, she was, she had left by then and went to UConn is this. So she was in charge basically of a, of a women's basketball machine. Um, 
you know, she was Ball State's AD. She was named Executive of the Year by the for the NCAA. Um, she's in two different Hall of Fames. She was in the inaugural Clemson soccer class and started as a team captain there. She was a soccer coach for eleven years. I mean, her her resume is well beyond even Bump Elliott's, who was a football coach in one year as an associate AD, and then that was it. Then he became Iowa's AD for 21 years. So anybody that – and I've one person in particular is really poo-pooing. I don't think she's done enough. <laughs> I don't know what else more you want. And, you know, Roger Goodell is not going to say, well, I'm going to leave the NFL because I'm going to come be the AD at Iowa. I mean, sometimes I think we lose perspective uh, when we're so narrow-minded, but uh, – you know, I, I think people laughed when Nebraska thought they could get any NFL coach to replace Frank Solich, and they found out very quickly they couldn't. And I think in this case, you're not going to be able – you can go out and there are some good Power 5 ADs who might be interested or even some group of 5 ADs who might be interested. That doesn't mean they're better. And I can tell you this, that I think, uh, you know, certainly Gene Taylor and, and, and I think Beth Getz in the same category as deputies at Iowa were better than at least half – of the sitting power five eighties at that time anyway, you know, so at this juncture, I think she has earned that right to be the interim. And I think how she handles herself and I think she will, and I think she'll become the, the athletic director at Iowa. And as you mentioned, Rob, you know, one of the things that she really highlighted and I kind of put it towards the end of my story was, you know, how do we leverage what's great about our state, our fan base? So in terms of being creative and proactive there, I think that's going to continue to be the priority. And then finally, the best time to reinvent and build yourself or when things are going well, not when you start to experience challenges. I, I would say based on where we, that's where we've been. That's where I was right now. And I think she's saying all the right things. Now, I guess next week she's going to have a press conference. I think that's what it sounds like. Yeah, so, well. And uh, so we'll get more from her, but you know, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, what am I missing, Rob? Am I missing something here? Or is it just the fact that dare I say that uh, she's female? So there's, there's skepticism immediately. Whereas if her name was Brad Gatz, that everybody'd be like, don't lose this guy. We can't afford to lose him. You know, like they were kind of that way with Gene Taylor a few years ago. Yeah, I think there's probably a few things at play here. That being the most obvious one is sexism, you know, that it's a female and uh, how is a female going to manage a power five football program and men's basketball program? And, you know, is she going to be able to hire the right coaches? Because it's obvious there are going to be coaching changes. Whoever the new AD is, is going to be responsible. That's going to be a huge part of the job, obviously, but I just don't think people – I think people react before actually researching and finding out if a person is qualified. And people love brands. They love brand names. They love, you know, like you said, you know, the extreme example of Roger Goodell, um, yeah. you know, being the AD or, you know, let's have Bob Stoops come back and be the AD, stuff like that. Yeah. Or, you know, let's have B.J. Armstrong be the men's basketball coach or things like that, I think, is just that's a, 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 a train of thought for a certain group, a certain segment of a fan base. But I think there are, there are multiple elements at work here for those that don't feel like 
Beth even deserves an interim tag, let alone the full-time job. But that's, uh, we have that as a, uh, it's kind of a microcosm of society, isn't it, Scott, with this stuff? And yeah. um, not get, not going to go into those weeds too deeply, but it really, you know, she doesn't have the toughest act to follow either, if I may say that. Um, not to kick a man on the way out the door, but as I said at the beginning of this segment, I like what she's saying, and that gives me hope that she will execute on those things. But we all know it's easier said than done sometimes when you have the bureaucracy, the money involved, the red tape, all the other stuff that goes on with this stuff. It's a very, very challenging job, and it seems like she's prepared for that. And that gives me hope. Well, absolutely right. I mean, you're talking about, you know, in this day, which is the most challenging day to ever be in college, higher level of college athletics uh, we've ever seen. I mean, because you have the, the cross section and the confluence of so many different elements in play from NIL to whether or not eventually they're going to pay athletes. I think they're going to at some point, but how and how do you do that uh, to television, to conference expansion and realignment to how you, you know, how do you manage all of this and, and continue to, to straddle that line between encouraging your donors to support the swarm and other collectives and at the same time continue to give to the athletic department so it can pay its bills and do what it wants to do and, and then try to make coaches happy, keep your coaches win at a high level, graduate and do it right, you know, <laughs> all those things. Um, it, it's an incredibly difficult situation, and it's not one I would ever recommend for somebody who is not prepared to be an, an effective administrator. And the Bob Stoops crowd, this isn't a job for Bob Stoops. This is not the job for Bob Stoops. It, being a head coach, football coach, maybe, but not – athletic director not in this day and age unless you have a number two that's basically a number one <laughs> you know that's really what you're going to have i i think you know her resume speaks for itself it is is it qualified again as anybody they've ever had in that position speaking internally to several different people it's i've never quoted anybody they they like her a lot they think she's done a lot of really good things and she's had to she's kind of been force-fed the job you know in some ways you know she was there you know, eight months or so before Barta announced he was retiring. She didn't expect that. She thought that it was going to happen. And she mentioned it and I wrote about it that she expected Barta to, you know, not be there forever, but she didn't expect eight or nine months. Now she's, you know, in that role and some people, maybe some people you're, you wouldn't expect have, have, she has their support. And talking to a few ADs and higher college athletics officials. The first question I got from a couple of ADs last week when, you know, even just casual conversations was they're going to hire her, right? She's qualified. She's absolutely great. Um, that's kind of what I was told by some pretty good ADs. And then, you know, another commissioner is like, yeah, I work with her, you know, and she's, she's a really good one. I mean, that was Jim Delaney. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, so getting all of those words, uh, you know, that it's not a, it's not a like, hey, by all means, keep Todd Licklider there, like like Tom Izzo would say. You know, it's more of a matter of 
wow, you know, she's really good and we need to work with her. And then you look, you know, and I'm not going to ever make it about, you know, gender or anything like that. But I do think based on some of the issues Iowa's had, it's not the worst situation to have a, a female in charge. And, you know, the Big Ten, since Sandy Barber retired, doesn't have a female athletic director either. Um, and she has a strong voice. She carries it well. And people respect her at that level. So I think this is overall is, you know, unless she bungles something significantly, whether it's gambling or it's football this fall, I expect her to be the one in charge. And, and people can complain about it all they want. But I think she's going to probably do a really good job. Yeah, and the AD position is one that, uh, you know, if they're not talking about you, you're probably doing a good job because people focus on the negative when it comes to that position. And as you said, that's just a completely different structure that she's coming into than when Bob came from UNI or Gary came from, where was he, Wyoming? Wyoming, Wyoming. Yeah. yeah. Just a different deal right now with, as you said, NIL, Transfer Portal, uh, all that stuff that's part of it now that wasn't before. And in addition to that, Scott, she has the um, – she is the supervisor for the offensive coordinator <laughs> because of nepotism rules. And we're going to talk about that after this break. That's a good. That's a good tease. People uh, will come back for Brian Ferentz conversations. I know they will. Yeah. If if they haven't, if if they're not with us anymore, but yeah. Support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating fifty years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is Systems Unlimited, fifty years over 50 years of doing great work in East Central Iowa. We appreciate their support of the podcast as well. We're going to hear from a few more of our supporters, and we'll be back on the other side with some Brian Ferentz conversation. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back here on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast, uh, and we have a new supporter, Scott. We have a new sponsor to the podcast. Some some have gone and some have come back, yeah. and some are new. And uh, our new sponsor is um, – Pat sent me a very convoluted uh, write-up <laughs> here, but I'm going to do my best. 
So the website is underthekitchen.square.site. And this is a, I don't know if you guys know, I believe the, man, the, the, the man's name is Engel, Ken Engel, if I'm not mistaken. He does some really great artwork for Iowa, of Iowa athletes and personalities, University of Iowa athletes and personalities. Um, he has prints that are available at that website I gave you, again, under the kitchen.square.site. Uh, Cooper DeGene, Jack Campbell, Spencer Lee, uh, all of the artwork is sanctioned uh, and produced with the highest level of quality. Uh, and the signed artwork comes with COA certificate that verifies the signatures from my time in the uh, sports collectibles wor- world. A COA is a certificate of authenticity. And uh, so all of uh, the artwork is verified uh, the signatures are verified, and you can check all that out on the website. Again, under the kitchen dot square dot site um, on the internet. Check them out. Uh, get some great artwork if you're working on a uh, uh, decorating a Hawkeye room, something like that in your basement. Uh, good stuff to put on the wall. And uh, I will improve this uh, copy for the next podcast. So I'm not stumbling all over myself with this read. Probably should have done that beforehand. But anyway, check it out. It's under the kitchen.square.net. Great artwork of University of Iowa athletes, past and present. A former Iowa athlete who is now a coach is Brian Ferentz. And uh, one of those names that usually creates some type of reaction when it's brought up within the fan base. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a negative one. And that's kind of what Brian Ferentz is facing now. You uh, had a piece on him today, got to sit down with him in his office. I guess I'll let you kind of explain what you took out of this. How was the, just kind of the vibe in the interview? I know I, I get a sense that things have changed with his um, – What's the? Uh, how do I want to frame it? How he feels about people on the outside with what's been thrown his way. And I think it's human nature. When you're dragged as much as he's been dragged, fair or not, you develop kind of a, a, you know, a reflex of wanting to defend yourself – and he's in a position where that's really hard to do because if he's defending himself, he's probably um, denigrating, uh, putting down, criticizing players, mm-hmm. you know. But we all know there's – and I think you use the word in, in your piece, which there's nuance to this. There's, there's um, layers to it. And – I think you wrote this, and I kind of get the same vibe. Even if Iowa's offense is good this year, he's probably not going to get credit for it. It's going to go to Cade McNamara and the people that they added to the offense. Yeah. Brian's not going to win here. He's not going to win over the fan base. He's not going to win over his critics. And um, the only way he wins is if Iowa doesn't lose. And, And even then, you know, last year they won eight games despite the offense. And he got no credit, you know, and he shouldn't have. I mean, that was a, a dreadful offense. We watched it. Uh, I made sure to bring that up very, very high in the story. And, of course, I've looked at some of the comments I've gotten, which people oh, I'm think sure I'm sure that the feedback you're getting is very rational. 
it's been very strange that the the comment section has been this, um, you know, that I'm shilling for Brian. That, you know, I, I mentioned at one point, I'm not trying to humanize him, but, you know, I, I bring up some things. He's like, you're trying to humanize him. Well, he's not a fucking cyborg. He is a person here. And I'm just trying to explain kind of where this is at because, and that's why I kind of led with, here we go, you know, because, you know, you can't write this story and give it justice and fairness without touching that. I won't even say lunatic fringe. I'll say more of the critical mass is so against him that uh, you know that it's going to piss people off just by writing about him. That doesn't say Brian Ferret sucks and should die, not even be fired, you know? And, and, and so at, at this point, you know, it's like, Oh, well, how do I explain this situation and give it justice and fairness? Um, and, and so I had to kind of go and I, I just, you know, I told my editor, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go a little bit different here. I'm going to write it a little bit more conversational and personal as opposed to just, you know, insert myself into it a little bit more. And, uh, but I mean, I think the nuance to me is, and this, this is where you've got to balance it out and leaving my own personal feelings out of it is. Brian Ferentz presided over the worst offense this century in the Big Ten. He was the offensive coordinator. Now, what he was asked to do is probably different than what he wanted to do. He's never going to blame his father for any of that. So let's not even go there. You look at the numbers, any other any other OC probably would have been fired. I really doubt anybody would have came back after that. Um, but – you also got to measure him against why, why is he still there? And it's not just because his name is Ferentz. And you, you say, well, you know, the first four years, they did average 29 points a game that he was there. Twice they averaged more than 31 points a game. You know, they, when they do score 25 points a game, they're 31 and one. So the offense, unlike most, if not all teams in, in, major college football is there in many cases to protect the defense. It's rarely the other way or, you know, it's, it's almost always the other way around. It's rarely that way. And so sometimes the scheme is even if they feel like they can go up tempo and be successful, that sometimes in a hot day where the defense is getting dragged a little bit, they got to slow it down. Because they want to, they want to preserve their defense, which is the crown jewel of their of their team. Um, you know, so I, I got into a lot, and there there'll be more coming on this in different ways. But you know, his relationship with his dad, and and he's like, I'm not entirely comfortable with this. And he brought up a, a Randy Peterson story back in 1999. You know, when Iowa was terrible, and he went and interviewed him, and you know, because he was, I think, a junior at City High at that point, and just kind of talked to him about his uh, experiences and trying to get it. He said he's trying to like four different ways. He asked me the same question, and I didn't really want to get into this on the story, but you know, and it made me feel uncomfortable. And then I'm like, I'm not really comfortable being the son of a coach right now. And and he still is like, and based on what's happened over the last 25 years, I'm even less comfortable now. But for other people, that is the relationship as to why he's still there. So uh, there, there's a lot of layers, as you say, a lot of nuance, a lot of ambiguity. But I think it's it's something that's you know it's it's a rich story and it's a you know a unique Iowa story.
and it's progressed, right? Yeah. Ken O'Keefe was always under fire. Mm-hmm. Greg Davis got more shit than Ken O'Keefe did, and now mm-hmm. Ryan is getting more than them based on his last name, really putrid performances last year, and even the year before was not good. And it's more than one person. Um, You know, I think you mentioned it in your story, offensive line recruiting and development, to me, is the root of everything here because that's what this program is built, built on, winning in the trenches, winning on both sides of the ball, on the line. And Iowa's been bad at that on offense the last few years. And unless that improves, I'm not, I don't know if Brian can do anything to to save the offense. Yeah. When you look at that offensive line last year, it was a mess. You had inexperienced players being considered the leaders. I think, you know, when you look at Connor Colby and Mason Richmond, a few years before that, they might be rotational players. Maybe like, and I could see Richmond being a guard and Colby like rotating with a senior type mm-hmm. of guy. That's really what you probably would have seen. Um, you know, if you had a, an Alaric Jackson or even a Sean Welsh or Cole Banwert up front, you know, th- they were missing kind of that, those try hard, tough guys that usually come through late in their careers. Uh, you know, a, a Kyler shot, a Cole Banwert, a, Ro- a Ross Reynolds, they're missing those. And then they're also missing the superstars. Yeah. So um, their run blocking was atrocious, especially early in the year. And their pass blocking was just the same. And when you have Spencer Petras, who has a, a lot of gifts and, you know, that's another thing everybody was mad about last week when I said Spencer is going to be rejoining the team, you know, but not as a player. People didn't like that either. I mean, I don't think they realized that, calling, you know, that it doesn't matter if you're a statue in the pocket and you're inaccurate. It doesn't really matter when you're calling plays or helping the team out. Uh, and then you look at the wide receiver position. We've seen some bad stuff. I know you were around in 04 with the running back situation. I think the wide receiver situation yesterday or last year was worse early than even the running back in 04. So you combine those three. It doesn't matter what kind of game plan or game play calls you make. I'm not going to give him a pass because he has a a direct impact on offensive line recruiting, but the 18 and 19 classes, which really are the ones that you put together to be your, you know, probably they should have had at least three starters from that, that group. They were injured. They left. They just weren't good enough, you know, and then you're playing with sophomores. That's uh, you can't put together a game plan or a successful one. And then, you look at some of the others, you know, I, I like I blame him more for the Illinois loss than I do Iowa State because Iowa State did have a pretty good team. So did Illinois, but I thought he had opportunities against Illinois and didn't call a very good game. I thought um, Iowa State, you know, Arlen Bruce tripping up at the three-yard line, you know, the turf monster getting him and then Monty Potter fumbling. You know, th- those aren't necessarily on Brian. So... I don't know, Rob. I mean, this is a lot of I'm, – I'm rambling here, but there's a lot going on here with this program that's beyond Brian Ferentz sucks and get rid of it. Yeah, and I think it, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks are the obvious targets, right? Those are the ones that people feel like they can do that job. I could be a better offensive coordinator than Brian Ferentz, and, you know, I could find a better quarterback than Spencer Petras, but it's a team game. There are 11 guys that need to work together. 
I think for Brian Ferentz, in my mind, Scott, he needs to be better at using what he has and getting the most out of what he has. And I don't know if it's that's in direct conflict with what his father wants to do offensively, because, again, this isn't new that the offensive coordinator is getting – that Kirk Ferentz's offensive coordinator is getting criticized. It's been back since Kirk first got here. O'Keefe was – a whipping boy. I, yeah. I think people, I think time people have forgotten that over time. It was bad. Not yeah. as bad as now because of the social media aspect and the ability for people to just pound their opinions. But Ken O'Keefe was was got railed a lot. And and hopefully people are well, not hopefully, but I'm sure there are more people that remember the you know the Greg 2012 Greg Davis, 13, 14. Um, how bad that got. Um, it's just the dynamics different now with it being the coach's son. And then to pile on to that, hey, thanks, Gary. On the way out the door, we're going to make this even more uncomfortable by putting these uh, benchmarks on his performance, which is going to make it, which is going to magnify what happens this fall. So I just, it's not a good setup. It's not a good situation for anybody. And it makes it more difficult to do your job, I think. Yeah, it certainly does for him. Does for the team. Uh, it puts pressure on on certain positions and and spots in games. Um, you know, it, it could be as simple as, hey, it's fourth and goal at the one. You're up seven to nothing. You know, late in the first quarter, do you just kick the field goal and go up double digits? Or you, man, we need we need a touchdown. Not thinking directly about the points, but it's one of those well. Let's let's go see what we got here. And you can justify I, it. Don't you think this is going to be more for the the peanut gallery, so to speak? The folks on the outside, I think, are going to pay a lot more attention to this than the coaches. Kirk's not going to change the way he coaches to get to 25 points a game. He's going to be who he's been since he got here. And that's being able, however you can do it, to score one more point than the opponent. If it's six to four, fine. If it's 30 to 29, fine. That's an odd score, but you get the point. <laughs> He's yeah. gonna, they're not going to change how they approach it this year based on those numbers that Barta put in the contract. No, and, and they shouldn't. And that's the that's the point. I, I'll start by saying I think they're going to average more than 25 points a game. Yeah, I would hope thing. so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you know, I rewatched the games on Sunday, and I'm like, I'd, I'd like to at least see a little more offense in it myself. But, you know, I, I think – to start, that's going to be the case. But, you know, the, the situations that I wrote about that I kind of talked to Brian about a little bit were, you know, let's take the Purdue game over there. Mm-hmm. It was a wind tunnel. I mean, it was like 45, 50 mile an hour gusts. You couldn't hardly walk I'm in a, it. I'm aware I was shooting photos. Right. And you know, it's got that. You saw our post, the, the post. Yeah. I was in that tent the whole time when I wasn't working. I mean, people got to hold the tent down, you know, during the press conferences and you couldn't hear any audio. Oh, it was, that? it was insane. But, you know, when they're up 24 to three at that point, I mean, the stupidest thing you could do is say, let's let's be on the right hash mark and have Spencer Petras throw a, a six yard out to the left or even th- hang the ball up. And, th- you know, he's got a really strong arm, but put the ball in a position to where it, it can be taken away is ridiculous. And but based on this contract, you know, there might be some pressure. And I'm not saying he, he's he's like the head coach is absolutely not that way. I'm not that way. 
but you never know, you know, that, that given that juncture, do you just say, you know what, I think I need to, let's put it up. Let's try to get one more score here. And uh, you know, or the Wisconsin game. And I think that one probably is even more striking to me, which is it's 24 to 10, 218 left. You got the ball in the Wisconsin 22. Um, you know, they ran out the clock. They won 24 to 10. They're happy to beat one of their rivals um, to get the trophy back to beat Wisconsin's a big deal in Iowa. Then, but now do they say, well, you know, let's call a timeout with 30 seconds left to kick a field goal. You know, that's unsportsmanlike. That's disrespectful. That's something that I think you're going to, you know, it, it, it comes back to bite your ass in the future. And I don't think that's anything he would want to do. So he says he's not going to disrespect the game. He thinks of the game too much. So he's not going to do that. And that's not the way, as you said, Iowa, Iowa wins, it wins, you know, and, you know, if they win 31 to nothing, great. If they win, you know, 16, 13, great too. They just care about winning. Winning's hard. And, and these teams, these teams care about winning too. You know, <laughs> I think that gets lost. And these that's the care. bottom line, right? I mean, if they average 28 points a game and they go six and six, well, then he's under the seven, I guess. Say they go seven and five and average yeah. 28 a game. People will be more happy if they go 10 and two and average 24 a game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just arbitrary numbers here. I get it. The you you pointed out the thirty one and one over. I get why that's the number, but every season is different. Every game is different. Every opponent is different, and you have to go about a game plan that gives you the best chance to win. Sometimes that is scoring sixteen points, or at Purdue going into the lockbox in the second half because you see your defense kicking ass. And thinking to yourself, Purdue ain't going to, they're not scoring enough to beat us. Mm-hmm. Then you play smart football. That's the bottom line. It's not about, you know, running up a score or getting over 25 points. It's playing the football, you, the complementary football you need to play to win the game. Well, exactly. And one, one game plan comes to mind for Iowa is uh, USC at the Holiday Bowl. Right. He knew, and you look at that roster and you go, holy shit, look at what yep. they have. You know, now that now you're drafting them in fantasy football when you've got what Drake London and Michael uh Pittman and Amon St. Brown, Valus Jones as wide receivers. There was some pressure there to say, all right, we need to keep scoring. And they maximized every freaking possession. Yep. They did. That was outstanding. Um, the yardage wasn't real high. They didn't need to be high. But they scored every damn time they got the ball practically until the game was out of reach. In different so, ways, too. Yeah, right. Just, you know, really did a nice job. That was one of his better games, no, te- yeah. no doubt about it. Right. And I remember when I did my story last year with him, when I when we went and analyzed video and did all of that, it was just like, um, you know, he described kind of the, the feeling that they needed to keep scoring. They were more aggressive. And I know that's probably what frustrates Iowa fans the most. And I kind of share it at times is that they do get in that hunker down mode pretty early if they're up and it kind of bores the game away, but it's about winning and, you know, winning can be boring, but it's also exhilarating when you put that much into it and you rely on your defense and special teams. And it's probably like watching a wrestling match, Rob, where your guy consistently wins three to one. Mm-hmm. For seven minutes, you're going, I wish you'd do something, but he still wins. 
you know, that said, they could do more. They know they can do more. And they don't, it's not like they don't want to, they just say, you know, hey, our max here is 16 points. If we can get a, a touchdown and three field goals, then we're just going to ice the game away. I mean, they want to score points. They want to do all the, that stuff. It's just, you know. The other teams have coaches too. Right. They're coming up with game plans. Sometimes their game plan is better than your game plan. And you have to be able to adjust. And I think that's a little bit with Brian too, is in-game adjustments. I mm-hmm. think he can be a little bit better there. But to add to your point, Scott, and the point we're making here about complementary football and finding a way to win the game based on how you going into it with a game plan based on what you need to do to win, Outback Bowl against Mississippi State, Holiday Bowl against USC, two completely different game plans, and both were successful. Right. The one against the great example of Mississippi State, they knew they could not run the ball against that team. When Jeffrey Simmons, who is a monster, I would say outside of Aaron Donald. Think maybe about the, best, the guys on the Mississippi State defense and the guys on USC's offense. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, be in, you'd be in the playoffs with that. You know. Playoff? Playoff? Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> but they knew they couldn't run the ball against that team, and they didn't. They ran for negative yardage. It was a grind. He knew, though, that they had to at least try, that they couldn't just go out there and throw. It was a hot day. Um, they had a, Iowa had a really good freaking defense, too. Yep. <laughs> a lot of pros on that defense. And, uh, and they knew that they would have their – they would be all right, too. So, uh, But they had to keep the appearance up. They are going to continue to run the ball. And what happened really – I think it was early in the second quarter, play-action pass, strong safety, first-round draft pick, sucks it up. Nick easily goes over the top for a 70 yard touchdown pass. That's why you do certain things. Um, the Ohio state game, when you see, if you, if anybody, you know, was just on uh, BTN, I think the other day, if you watch it in the pre-snap motion of the tight ends, they get a lot of what they call trading over pre-snap. You know, they'd have Fanton Hawkinson start on the left, then they, they motion over and, and then trade over to the right. And they were watching how's the defense covering these guys? How how's it happening? And it was a lot of setup. Then in the second quarter, like Brian said, and I in the story was last year, he's like, second quarter, we got them. We knew what they were going to do. And then we saw them blow the doors off of them because they could not cover tight ends. They were not disciplined enough to do it, and they knew exactly how they were going to do it. And that's what good offensive coordinators do. And that's the strategies he put together. I'm not trying to cover up at all for any of the inadequacies because I think their their goal line, especially, or their red zone inside of 10 yards has been atrocious play calling. <laughs> and I will I will call them out on that. We talked about that one too, and that'll come later in this summer. But you also got to give them credit for those other ones. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to look at it and say, well, yeah, but they – you know, all the way, you know, through six games of the 2021 season, they averaged like 33 points a game. Um, the last six, and then, of course, our last eight, and then, of course, this season, they've been, they were not good at all. And there are a lot of factors for that. And Brian deserves his credit, his share of blame, too. I mean, sticking with outside zone when your team can't block it, you got to move that around. That's not working. Uh, and, you know, as I said, inside the 10 yard line, it's like, do something yeah. different. But again, you you gotta you gotta be careful here. You know, to be balanced and fair and objective. And I don't think anybody wants to be objective. And I think that's the biggest problem, you know, issue of all. 
no, people have made up their mind. The narrative has been laid down. And like you said, I'm not sure that Brian can do anything this year to change his approval rating, but he can't worry about that. He's got to worry about what's going on in the building and doing what he can to win with what he has. And that's the satisfaction he's got to get. He can't worry about whether he's popular or not. Um, but we will talk about Brian, I'm sure, much more throughout this season. A uh, couple more things I want to hit here. Actually, one more thing. We may not get to the depth chart today again, but we'll, that, we'll leave you guys in suspense for next week. Um, conference expansion, Scott. Uh, hot topic again this week. Uh, not really anything directly related to Iowa other than if the Big Ten expands, obviously that changes the la- changes the landscape for Iowa, particularly some of the schools that are being discussed are a long way from here. <laughs> you know, it's nothing, it's not, you know, Missouri or uh, one of the Kansas schools or, you know, something that you're like, okay, that's in our region. That's it's, you know, Washington, Oregon, Cal, uh, Stanford, Clemson, Florida state. Those are schools that are distant from Iowa. So that's kind of the Iowa viewpoint of it, but that's none of that's none of the geographic uh, considerations. There are no geographic considerations, I guess is what I'm saying anymore. If conferences are going to just try, it's a battle now to see who can, who can be the biggest of a, of the power four. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's been challenging to watch. As you mentioned, you know, today, Arizona and Arizona State Board of Regents or whatever, they're going to go over a lot of this stuff. And, and they could, it, it's potential, you know, the potential to announce that they might be leaving the Pac 12 or the Big 12. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what a wild circle it was going. I mean, I was there in Kansas City the day that the, it, the Pac 10 at that time invited six Big 12 teams. So now that we're, you know, the Big 12 could knock it out, I think is unreal <laughs> for a yeah. lot of reasons. But uh, specific to Iowa and the Big 10, you know, what they're doing right now, I guess probably the best way to describe it is their due diligence. That uh, I think what most people have kind of said is in a perfect world, there would be a Pac 12 or Pac 10 or whatever it is. And they would be the ones to still, um, you know, compete with, and and they wouldn't feel like they have to involve them. But if this conference is going to collapse, then they also have to be prepared for what's next. And it very well could be adding more schools to that. Um, the focus is still on USC, UCLA, but there's still, you know, there's the potential for. Hey, if the Arizona schools and Utah decide we're going to go to the Big 12, then maybe it's uh, Washington, Oregon, and, and the two Bay Area schools decide, you know what, let's, we should probably pick them up too and, make, and figure something out later. That's very, a very real possibility at this point. And I think the Big 10 then would have to have some very, very serious discussions about co- competition. And about it's not even really about like the freaking conference championship who plays in it. I mean, across the board of who plays who, when, and where, because you're talking about not just football. You're talking about freaking volleyball and soccer and, and baseball and softball. And the fact that 
you might not hop on a bus and go to Illinois for four hours, but instead you might have to fly commercial, a, a red eye to, to Eugene, Oregon, you know, a bus from Portland. That's the stuff that I think uh, I, the, the president's last year, the view was no, they didn't want to do that. Now the view is rather not, but if it's there and we, you know, we, we might need to investigate it. And that's, I think they were spot. fine until the Texas Oklahoma. Once that Texas Oklahoma thing happened, yeah, I think that woke everybody up to hey, we gotta, we gotta, as you said, due diligence and make sure we're well positioned here. We don't want to watch the Big Twelve become, you know, gain on us. You know, the SEC is what it is, but for the Big Ten, you're trying to position yourself to stay on that level. And not have, you know, whether it be the ACC, the Pac-12, or the Big 12, gain on them. And the Big 12 is, give the Big 12 credit. It's landing on its feet after losing its two biggest brands. Um, But the Big 10 has to make sure that it takes advantage of opportunities. Obviously, Notre Dame would be the best, I think, to get that. But I just, I don't, I'm not. Been doing this long enough and been covering the Big Ten long enough not to fall for that pulling the football away from Lucy. Well, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, yeah and I, I wrote a story about that um, a couple weeks ago in our realignment blitz. And, you know, Delaney was emphatic that, you know, they had a lot of discussions after that too. And it was Notre Dame who initiated it. Notre Dame wanted the same thing from the Big Ten that it got from the ACC. It makes sense for them. You yeah. know, you, you still play um, all the Big Ten schools and baseball. I mean, for them, travel-wise, it's perfect, the Big Ten is. Football, they still wanted their independence. They And if they could play five Big Ten games, that's a pretty big deal, too. You know, and maybe that's something the Big Ten would revisit now with a different commissioner, you know, and, and NBC being a part of that, uh, their mix. But it's, you know, we've reached, we're reaching a tipping point, you know, and what's next that's kind of scary, you know, because if you're saying you're eliminating a great conference in the Pac-12 or, you know, and their six of their primary brands probably, you know, go to the Big Ten and, but then, you know, how do you divide it up? Maybe and maybe it's better for all the sports, except for maybe football, if that's the case. That, all right, this allows USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Washington to play one another with a lot of frequency in these sports. Um, and then only, and then limit the number of trips, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois, on, on down make that far West for everything, but football. And then in football, maybe you, you do it, you know, I, I won't say divisionally, but you do it, you know, where there, there are some geographic boundaries, if you will. And I'm just speculating, but that's kind of what I can imagine. It's just, man, we just had a 2024 <laughs> schedule on or teams unveiled and the system that could just be tossed away. So I don't know. I'm, it, it's a very scary part. Yeah, it's just you don't know logistically. You know, there's logistics to this too beyond football and you know the the uh, revenue sports. How do you, you know, there's still th- these athletes are still going to class. There's still, I mean, there's still requirements of them beyond their sport that 
becomes more difficult logistically with travel Mm -hmm. from Seattle, Washington to College Park, Maryland. Mm -hmm. That's a long ass trip, man. Right. You know, if you're a soccer team or field hockey or something like that. I mean, so now you've got to have a component of, okay, if we're going to take a school just for sake of argument from Seattle or Eugene and have them go east. What are we doing? Can we make it like a, like they used to do like for men's basketball, where it'd be a week road trip on yeah. the weekend and you, you know, to Indiana, you play Indiana and Purdue or something like that. But now it's more extreme with the travel. So can, you know, can Oregon go and play Maryland, Rutgers, Penn State in a given week, in a given sport, whether it's whatever, you know, soccer, swimming, whatever. But it's just, that's where we go circling back to, you know, Beth Getz conversation. These are the types of things now that she will deal with that other administrators that preceded her won't. It's just, yeah. there's so much more. Mm-hmm. And like my colleague, Nicole Auerbach wrote about this week, you know, uh, the, the, the travel dynamics for USC and UCLA are so extreme compared to yeah. any other expansion. I mean, it sounded bad when, I mean, you know, I wrote, extensively about Penn State in 1990 and Indiana voted it down because it was too far away. I mean, and you think about that now versus USC, UCLA, yeah. the potential for Eugene, Oregon. And maybe I'm just a little nervous about that because I went to the, the NIT game in 2012 <laughs> and trying to get back. And that was, that was crazy. But, um, you know, but when you start to look at it in a different light, probably remove football as opposed to add football, which you do at all the situations. When you go, okay, in in soccer, then those teams could play each other. Um, you know, I don't even know how many games they play in soccer. I, maybe I should look that up. But let's say uh, women's soccer, that those five, those six schools play five games a minimum against one another. And then maybe at the beginning of the year, even before they enroll in school, all right, this is when you fly to Baltimore or or whatever, and then you play Maryland and Rutgers on a given weekend, or, or you go to fly to Chicago and you play Northwestern and Wisconsin or Illinois in, in a, a given weekend. And that's what they probably do in basketball. And then in basketball, again, they all play each other. Yeah. And, and I would, I, I personally am in favor now of cutting the schedule down to like 18 instead of 20. I think it's too much anyway. And I think now with the travel component, it makes it more difficult that this for USC and UCLA in particular, because, you know, if you cut one more road game for them, then maybe they could play a California team or a regional team or something like that, non-conference play. But, you know, if you do that and it's not going to be organic scheduling, so what, you know, I mean, it, it, under a microscope, would you rather have Iowa's soccer team play Illinois or Washington? You know, maybe every three to four years you do, or you go out to the West Coast and you play, you know, California and Stanford in a trip, you know, Washington and Oregon, that's a little more difficult, but you can still do it. I, I think I think that's probably not the worst idea in the whole wide world. Now, imagine what the uh, the Big Ten basketball tournament will be like. You're going to need a week to play that. Oh, yeah. With all those teams, if you're going to let everybody be eligible, unless you have a cutoff and say, you know, the bottom four don't get in, but you don't want that. You want everybody involved. 
You have 20 teams, man. It's going to take you a while to get through a bracket. That's a third of the friggin' NCAA tournament. This is this is where you get creative, Rob. This is where it gets fun if you allow it to be fun. Um, let's say that they take those six in the West Coast. Let's just talk out of our ass or my ass anyway. Six teams out there. Notre Dame says, okay, we, we, we better saddle up for this. And then, I don't know, say 23 teams in the Big Ten. Maybe one more comes later or whatever. But Notre Dame and the, and the, and the Western six. Well, why don't we have uh, – first round of the tournament the previous weekend you cut your schedule down to like 18 games and then the previous weekend you have six teams per site maybe five in another and then you will get all the way you know first you know four different sites or something like that or you have three tournaments with you know seven on one and eight on the other and you play three straight games and then the winners go you know maybe somebody else qualifies or there's buys or something like that and then you you feed them into one central tournament for the, the the second weekend. You know that that's not a bad idea. You know, say the top if you have twenty three teams, Rob. Let's say the top five get buys, and then then you have three separate tournaments of six teams over the weekend before, and then the winners of those join the five teams with buys in a you know, round of eight, you know, and, and that's how you do your big 10 tournament the second weekend. Maybe that's the way to do it. I don't know. That's just an idea. It's don't maybe do it. However, one. TV wants them to do it, but you know what? If I were TV, I would absolutely want them yeah. to do that. Oh yeah. They would sign up for that. Yeah. I mean, you get three sixes. Um, you can scatter the games. You can have, you know, six game, you know, six teams all on the West coast, basically. Or you could say, ha ha, Minnesota, you get stuck going out there because U.S. C has a buy or UCLA has a buy. You can play at wherever the Lakers play. What's that? Staples now or Staples? Yeah, Staples. Whatever. You have that. You can have the United Center and Madison Square Garden. Yeah, absolutely. Boom, boom, boom. Those are boom. your three spots. Yep, and then your championship round of the final eight would be Indy or yeah, whatever, whatever you know, Des Moines. <laughs> <laughs> the Mark and the, the Mark Watsonies. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, or yeah. Or, or even more simplistic than that, you know, I mean, I guess that would be okay, but maybe it's uh, home seed, you know, or something like that. So that would really jack up some stuff. So, you know, although you wouldn't want to have it in Penn State, I think. But no. No, I don't think people would show up even if it was a full <laughs> tournament. <laughs> it's, uh, it's wild. I don't know where this ride ends and how it ends. And I just wonder if, you know, how – you know, as these media rights deals come up, if there's there's constant movement as in the future where there's team like not the 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 foundational teams, not the Ohio States and Michigans and you know teams that have been you know that are the brand names in a given league, but just those fringier teams. If there's movement throughout the years, you know from the from the back end of your uh, instant member institutions. If there's a better deal, like the the instance with Florida State complaining about not getting as much money as other programs and other conferences, if that becomes more the norm where the grass is greener and, you know, I don't like what I'm getting in the Big 12 as Arizona and Arizona State, so I'm going to hop to the SEC or somewhere else. I don't know if the SEC would have Arizona and Arizona State, but you get the point. I just wonder how final any of this will be. 
Oh, you're right. You know, it's really going to be, there's going to be some big question marks. And, you know, I listened to the Florida State discussion yesterday. Um, It's it's interesting because Florida State probably thinks of itself a little bit more highly than it it should. Um, It is a marquee school in that league, but it is not the marquee school. It is is defaulted from that responsibility. And, and, um, you know, I, I went through like, over the last two years, 16 games involving ACC teams were uh, had three and a half million viewers, and only four of them were Florida State. They could also say, well, a quarter of them were, but I could also say, yeah, but three of them were against, well, two against the SEC, one against a future SEC member in, in Oklahoma, and the other one was Notre Dame. So, but then they could say, well, duh, that's the reason why, because we're playing marquee opponents people watch. When we're playing Wake Forest or, you know, Virginia, we're not. Well, you you know that's chicken or the egg. You know, I think there's there's ways to look at it. They have not been, you know, not since Bobby Bowden retired and a little bit of Jimbo Fisher. They have not been the marquee team that they need to be. Uh, Miami has certainly been the same way. I mean, you when they both joined the league, I thought, okay, we're going to have some great battles, and instead they've been. Uh, do these guys even play anymore? You know, <laughs> so yeah, that, uh, yeah, 80s, early 90s, those games were must see TV. Now it's like, oh, Miami played Florida State. I missed that one. Yeah. I mean, you know, that used to be like a wide right. You know, it was like, this is yep. the game you got to circle on the calendar. There was like a handful of five or six rivalry games, you know, in Oklahoma, Nebraska, Michigan, Ohio State, UCLA, USC, uh, Miami, Florida State. So many great pros and yeah. Um, now it's, oh, when are they playing? You know, th- then they were starting on Labor Day weekend for a while. Now they're just like, eh. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just another game in the schedule. So I, I think, you know, when, when it comes to know that they're in the ACC, it's even more pronounced between the haves and have nots. Because uh, you have Florida State, you have Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and football. Um, Duke and NC basketball. State, Duke and basketball. NC State, you know, is, is a popular team. It's not a real successful team, but it is in, impactful. Clemson, I think I mentioned, but, you know. Syracuse has had its moments, but it's been yeah. a while. Yeah. And, and Syracuse, Pitt, Boston College, they're in a different level now. They're yeah. not really, you know, big-time teams that everybody needs. So there's like – it's like seven and seven. You know, and then there was like a, a christening of the magnificent seven of the ACC. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see some sort of split there, too. Um, but we'll just have to watch it, see what happens. The wheel goes round and round and where it stops. We don't mm-hmm. know, but we'll keep talking about it because it gives us content here for the Hotspot Podcast. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. I'm sure there'll be a lot more to talk about here as, move, as we move forward because it seems like the chair's – are being moved around and people are looking for a seat, yeah. uh, the best seat possible. So we'll get to the depth chart next week, Scott. We've gone an hour and a half and I think we'll cut it off here. And we'll, maybe next week we'll actually talk about Iowa football as we'll be a day away from media day and two days away from kids day. So we'll dive in a little bit more on actual football talk. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to do that, but I'm also excited to find out, uh, you know, will we have any kind of, I don't know, resolution or, something gambling wise to know who may be available, because I think it might be kind of saying, you know, telling to us, you know, maybe people who are involved won't show up. You may get a preview of that tomorrow. Yeah. 
Right, exactly. At Iowa State. And now they're different. They don't have like everybody like Iowa does, but you know, we'll probably get a little bit more clarity. I think it's kind of coming up to put up or shut up type times for Iowa State and Iowa about this. So yeah, I could see tomorrow getting a little bit more clarity on that. We'll discuss all of that next week on the Hotspots podcast. We should be back on Thursday unless something unusual pops up and you never know uh, around here with uh, news and whatnot. But, uh, and, and we, uh, as you said, the Beth gets press conference is going to be scheduled. So if that's a conflict with the press con- or with the podcast, we'll move around for that too, but we will let you know on social media. But as for, as of now, 9am next Thursday, we'll be back here on the hotspot. We want to thank everybody out there for listening. Thank you to our sponsors And uh, we will be back to talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.